Good morning to you. It's great to see you all this morning. Glad to be here with you. If we don't know each other, my name is Thomas, and I serve as the college pastor here at Providence. A special welcome to guests and visitors in the house with us this morning. Thanks for spending part of uh, this weekend with us. A special welcome to those of you joining us across the hall in the amphitheater or anyone that's away from here this morning joining us via the live stream. Happy to have you as well. This morning, we are studying a part of the Bible in John chapter 7. So invite you to find your Bible and open up to John chapter 7. If you manage to make your way in here this morning without a Bible, then we should have you covered. You can find a Bible under a chair in front of you somewhere around. You may have to uh, make a friend and ask them to pass it over to you. Our text is on page 892 and 893, pages 892 and 893 of the Bible that is under the chair in front of you. This morning, I want to talk to you about the search for Jesus We'll consider the different ways that people in this passage of Scripture were searching and seeking for Jesus. And as a result of that, we'll consider how we're doing with that and the different ways that we either are or aren't searching and seeking after Jesus. For those of you that uh, have been a part of the sermon series that we've been doing over the last couple of months, um, you'll know that we're working on memorizing some Scripture uh, while we are studying our way uh, through the Gospel of John. And today is no different. So let's rehearse our uh, scripture verse um, this morning. It's going to pop up in a minute. So there it is. So let's uh, read through John six thirty five together. I'll start us, and then we'll all read together. So Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So we heard a sermon on this last week, and if you didn't get to listen to that, that's available um, online with all of our content, and we'll have another scripture verse um, that we work on memorizing starting this next week, okay? Now, as we approach John chapter 7, we could benefit from this in a variety of ways, but the most important way that you could be served this morning is if God would speak to you over the next few moments. And we have a Bible that says this is how God works, and he wants to reveal himself to us, and he wants to speak to us. So let's take a moment to be intentional on our end of this by inviting him to do just that. Would you pray with me? Friend, I invite you to ask God to speak to you from John chapter 7. God, you hear all of these requests. You hear everything from this room. You hear everything from across the hall. You hear everything that we say to you. God, you not only know that, you know everything that we don't even voice to you that's really a concern. So God, that humbles us as we approach you today, that you know us so well. But at the same time, that creates comfort. Because we know that you're good. Being powerful and being in control, it's also comforting to know that you're good. And you want to lead us into good places. You want to provide the right good things for our lives. God, we pray that you'll do that through your word now. Thank you for this word. We Thank you for a picture of Jesus that we get to see. Thank you for your spirit that's at work in this moment. 
God, we invite you to be here and to be in this. Pray that the things that we're worried about and we're constraining us as we entered into this moment wouldn't have a hold on us. We pray we'd be able to see clearly. So Spirit, speak. We're listening to hear you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 7 is uh, where it's going down today. We're going to study the first 31 verses. We're also going to read verses 40 to 46. So uh, that's quite a bit of scripture that I'm about to read through for us. I encourage you to follow along because as always is the case, I'm just about to explain what this means. And if you don't follow along, you're going to end up being really bored. Okay, so let's all get into it. John chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. And Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man. And others said, no, he is leading people astray. Yet for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied. So Jesus said to them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? And Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it is from Moses, but that it is from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath, a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath, I made a man's whole body well. Do not judge by appearances, but with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is this, is this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ. But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from. 
but I have not come on my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. For I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. And they said, when the Christ appears, he will do more signs than he has done. Now read verse 40. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. And some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? And the officers answered him, no one ever spoke like this man. I want you to take a moment and think about a few of the many times that you have sought after something. Think about the time you lost your keys and you went looking for them. Now, because you were five minutes late, you couldn't find them. But we know how this goes. If you were five minutes early, they would have been right there, right? You seek after food when you're hungry. You seek after a relationship when you're lonely. You seek after a new place to live because the commute is killing you. Let's be honest about this. We all know what it's like to seek or to search after something. Of the many themes that God provides for us here in this passage of scripture to consider today, there's a dominant theme that we can all look into and be benefited from, and that's the fact that different people are seeking after Jesus for different reasons. And I want you to, I want you to consider this. John tells us, the author of what you have right here, the author could have selected anything to tell us about the life of Jesus. He could have selected any of Jesus' teachings. He could have selected any of Jesus' miracles. But he chose this. He chose a crowd. And not just any crowd. It was a pretty wild crowd. This crowd was essentially um, your favorite Christian concert or conference that you've ever been to. Um, Imagine some of that happening here. And then add uh, North Carolina State Fair. This is kind of where it's happening. And then add a heated political race. That's who's there too. This isn't just any crowd. This is a very, very unique crowd with a lot of unique characters in it. And we know that everything that God chose to put before us in the gospel of John, everything was chosen for us so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and we may have life in him. So here's what this means for us. God intends for us to be able to look in John chapter 7, And see the way different people interact with Jesus in a crowd. And God intends to be able to bring people from death to life by looking into this. So this is a pretty amazing thing that we get to look into this morning. Different people seeking after Jesus for different reasons. And I just want to take you through it. I want to show you four reasons why people seek after Jesus. And then briefly after that, we'll consider four reasons why this really matters for our lives today. So the first reason why people seek after Jesus, it's right there at the top of the page. The first 10 verses really tell tell the story. Why do people seek after Jesus? Well, some people seek after Jesus because they find Jesus to be useful. 
we're going to come to see, this actually isn't the best way or the best motive or belief or reason to seek after Jesus. But this is what you see happen in the first 10 verses. Do you know that Jesus had some physical brothers? And we talk a lot, as well we should, about what it means for Jesus to be born of a virgin, right? Virgin Mary, right? God conceived Jesus in a virgin. So when Jesus is born, he's fully God, he's fully man. He's gonna be the, the only one that has what it takes to take away the sin of the world. Yeah, Jesus had an adopted father named Joseph. And apparently they had some other kids because Jesus shows up with brothers later on. And as a guy with two younger brothers, I can't help but imagine like what this would have been like. I don't want to think about it for Jesus as much as I think about how hard it would be to be that other guy, right? I mean, can you imagine? He was so perfect like all the time, right? And yeah, I'm sure we could like, we could dream up some things like, oh, what was it like when they played softball? I bet Jesus could smash. Like we could talk about like all of this stuff, but childhood is over and these are grown men. And of the people that seek Jesus because they find him to be merely useful, it's his brothers. And this should startle us. At this point, at this point in each of their stories, in each of their lives, the brothers did not believe in Jesus. Author is really, really clear to point this out for us in verses um, three, four, and five. They know that Jesus is a dynamic guy. They know that Jesus has incredible leadership, but they can't square away the things that he said and the things that he did with the life that he was living. They didn't know how to make sense of all of this. And this is the problem that you see in all people that seek after Jesus. Jesus himself poses an intellectual problem that must be resolved. How do you make sense of all the things this guy said and all the things this guy did? Every single person who knows of Jesus must come up with an answer that explains how to make sense of this. Well, the brothers had a way and it was seeing Jesus as a guy who was merely useful. Don't get me wrong. They enjoyed being with Jesus. You see them hanging around and close enough to the shadows of miracles and teachings. And as best as we can infer, these were guys that really, really enjoyed the fame by association that comes from being close to Jesus. It's the kind of guys that as Jesus was teaching or as Jesus was doing a miracle, these are the fellas that were hanging in the background, photobombing every single picture of Jesus. They loved getting to be in the background of every miracle, of every teaching and every moment. They wanted to be close to Jesus because they found Jesus to be very useful for their own lives. You see, you cannot believe in Jesus if your root desire is to be praised by other people. That's why they're telling Jesus, oh, don't you know there's, there's this big thing over here. You, you ought to go. You ought to go and be a part of this, Jesus. And we can hear Jesus's response. Oh, I'm gonna go up, but I'm not gonna go up the way you want me to go up. No, I'm gonna go show myself, but I'm not gonna show myself the way that you want me to show myself. You see, their desires for Jesus were deeply defective desires because they were primarily concerned with the praise and opinions of other people, having other people look at them and think well of them. So you see them trying to maneuver Jesus like a pawn on a chessboard to get it in just the right spot so they had the best effect for them. You see something really interesting about God in moments like this. Verses six through 10, we see the guys telling Jesus, oh, it's time to go, you ought to do this. God has deeper motives than we do. 
Jesus says, I'm going to go up, but I'm not going up how you think I am. And I'm going to show my glory, but it's not going to be in the way that you're thinking right now. Because Jesus knows in this moment with his brothers that he is indeed going to go up and he's going to die on a cross for the sins of the world. There's something really remarkable about the author telling us and being really clear to point out to us, listen, the brothers don't believe. Like if we were making this up, we wouldn't include this detail because it could discredit the rest of the story because one of the brothers is named James. And James is going to go on and write the epistle of James that we have in our Bibles and we love so much. And this is the author. He's saying, listen, at this point, James didn't get it. At this point in his story and in his journey, James was not in. And there's a sense to where we're thinking like, John, don't go like bringing out the dirty laundry, like focus on the good stuff, man. He's like, no, 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 no. James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem at the time when this letter came out, everyone would have known. They would have been like, wow, James, like in that moment, like you weren't with him. He's like, no, man, I was missing it. I was seeking after him, but I wasn't finding him. I enjoy being close to Jesus, but I indeed was far from Jesus. Four ways to seek after Jesus. First one, some people seek Jesus because they find him useful. Let me show you the second one. Some people seek after Jesus because they are intrigued by him. They find Jesus to be merely interesting. Now, we all know what it's like to be intrigued by something, don't we? Right? Intrigue is that special set of emotions that are triggered when someone looks at you, like girls, when, when your girlfriend looks at you and she says, I've met a guy. And you're like, tell me more, I'm intrigued. Guys, we know this. Right? Well, intrigue is the emotion that we feel when somebody rolls up on us and they're like, did you hear who we just signed? Like, tell me, because we were terrible last year, my goodness. We know intrigue, we know intrigue. We, we know intrigue of, man, how many points did Clay Thompson score last night? Or when somebody says to you, oh, I know who JoJo's gonna pick in the end. We know intrigue in these moments. That, that surprised me with this crowd. I'm just saying, I didn't know we had that much in here, but that works for me, that works for me. But the people in this crowd, they see Jesus and there are people in the crowd that see Jesus and they feel that emotion only. They are intrigued. Give me a little more teaching. Give me a little more experience because you're just fascinating to be around. Doesn't tap into the emotions of love and gratitude that he's the savior and he's taken away sins. This is a primarily intellectual pursuit of Jesus. And you see it, people are trying to figure out Jesus. They're trying to say, well, maybe he's just a good guy. Like he's just a good old boy. The only problem with that is Jesus never left that for us as an option that we can consider, oh, this is Jesus. It it doesn't match the facts. Think about it. It's impossible for Jesus to be simply a good guy because Jesus claimed to be God. Next chapter over, John chapter eight, Jesus looks at some guys, probably some of this same crowd, And he said, listen, before Abraham was, I am. I'm God. Before before you had Abraham to look up to, I always was. Somebody who talks like that can't be just a good guy. Jesus assumed an incredible and radical position of authority. Think about this. In Luke 13, 34, something kind of bizarre happened. Jesus was sitting with his boys up on a hill, looking out into the city of Jerusalem. And can you imagine if we were all hanging out yesterday afternoon and one of us did this? Jesus sitting here, looking into the city. Jesus just looks into the city, not talking to anyone. He's not on the phone. And Jesus just simply says, Jerusalem, 
I send you prophets. I send word to you. And you keep killing all of them. Okay, that's an offhand comment, right? And we got to figure out, like, where's he coming from with this? Like, these are the things that he claimed. He was constantly forgiving sins and people were astonished. He once walked up to a woman who committed adultery and Jesus walked up to that woman and said, listen, sister, it's gonna be okay. Your sins are forgiven. I got them. They're no more. But think about what he's saying. He's saying in that moment, those sins weren't committed against a man. Those sins weren't committed against yourself. Those sins were ultimately committed against me. And I'm not gonna hold it against you. It's an incredible thing to claim. Jesus also made the most radical demands of, of, of diligence and obedience. Jesus looked at people and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one's getting to the Father except through me. He demanded that we give everything we have to be a part of following him. And here's the point. Giving up everything that we are and everything that we have for a mere human, that just doesn't make sense. He's gonna have to be God if we're gonna give everything that we have to be a part of what he's doing in the world. The point is that Jesus is either crazy or he is the Christ, but there's not much middle ground in between. And with this, hear me. You cannot believe in Jesus if your root desire, not something you struggle with from time to time, if your root desire is more information and more experiences. But these are the people in the crowd. And I think the crowd's given to us so that we can look into the crowd and we can see who, who we actually look a lot alike so that we can believe in Jesus and have life in him. But we can't say he's simply a good guy. We can't say he's simply a great teacher because he never left that as an option for us to conclude. So third way, third reason why people seek after Jesus, and that's this. Some people seek Jesus because they see him as a threat. That's what you see here in the majority of the verses, 14 to 24, and you also see a flash of it in 30. You actually see a glimpse of it back in one and two as well. This is probably the, the most dominant opinion in the crowd. What you need to know is many people in the crowd are religious leaders. They believe that they could get to God by being good. They believe that if they kept the law, God would look at them. He would see their good works. He would feel bad. He was like, man, I've got to bless you for all of these things that you've done for me and let them in. They thought they could be justified through law keeping. As you listen to Jesus, you hear him saying that their religious system isn't gonna cut it. And these are people that are hoping in the wrong place and they see Jesus and they see him as a threat to what they perceive to be the good life to be. They could tell that their system of morality wouldn't hold. They grew defensive. They wanted to protect their own selves and in their defensiveness, they grew angry. And in their anger, they wanted to kill him. And we know, we can see why this was happening. Look in verse 14. It's because Jesus taught in a way that was superior to all other people. He taught in the temple. Look at verse 15. That teaching blew their minds. Look at 16. His, he, we see why he's, his teaching blew their minds. is because he got his sermons from God. That seems like a great place to get a sermon. And then in 17, 18, and 19, he claimed his authority was from God. Then in 20 to 24, look at this in the text. The crowds seek after Jesus because they are threatened by Jesus. 
He threatened their system of salvation. He was saying being good enough isn't gonna cut it. They believed that being right with God came through keeping all the rules. And they started flipping out in John chapter five when Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, breaking one of their rules. Not one of God's rules, one of their man-made rules. They applied on top of God's rules. They couldn't handle it. They represent people who are proud and unbelieving. Think about the progression, their error. They found their joy in law-keeping. The result, the crowd see Jesus as a threat to getting what they need. And the root cause, they had pride that led to unbelief that bore the sinful fruits. So think about what this means for us. You cannot believe in Jesus if your root desire. I'm not talking about something you struggle with every once in a while. I'm talking about your root desire is to be good enough on your own. That's the message. Keeping the rules ain't gonna cut it. There's gonna have to be another way. And praise God that he has made another way. Because the one standing before them and talking to them about this, he was the savior. He, He knew what this was going to take. He knew that they had wrath on their life. And this is given to people who, without Christ, we have the wrath of God resting on us. John 20, 21 says, this was given to us so that we can see Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of God. We can believe in him. And by believing, we get to have life in his name. We know that eternal life is in view because we learn in John three sixteen that this isn't just simple life, man. This is eternal life, and this matters because John three thirty six tells us that the wrath of God is resting on all of us because of our unbelief. This matters. Do you feel the weightiness of this moment? This isn't simply useful. This isn't simply intriguing. This is life and death. Jesus confronts them because he loves them. He confronts them to reveal himself to us. God has made a way of salvation. He has made a way of deliverance and it doesn't rest on you and me having to keep all the rules and be just right and always have our junk together. He made a way by making Jesus perfect for us. We put our faith in Jesus. Yes, the word that became flesh, dwelt among us, died for us. We put our faith in him then we don't have to have it put together all the time. We can be open with one another because of our weaknesses and our insufficiencies because Jesus was sufficient for us. Oh, it's good news. Some people don't see this. They don't see it because they see Jesus as a threat. See, Jesus is a threat for their own system of salvation, their own view of the good life, their own way of thinking they get what they really need. There's the last way people see, there's the last reason why people seek after Jesus. Some people seek after Jesus because they believe he is God. We're only given a few verses to talk about these people. I'm actually encouraged by that. All we know is for sure is that they believe in Jesus and they are willing to stand up to the religious leaders and the cultural elites of their day to talk about it. I mean, you have the most powerful people like in the religious world gathered in this crowd, all lumped around Jesus. And they're hurling accusations at him. And the defenders of the faith, they're a bunch of commoners and people. We don't even have their names. I take a lot of heart in that. 
It's like, wow, it's like everyday people. Like, these are the people. Yeah, they believe in Jesus. We're going to learn as the, as the narrative unfolds that the reason why they were seeking Jesus is because Jesus already sought after them. You're going to see, wow, the reason they're hoping in God is that God already committed his life to seek after them and to bring them in. These were a group of people that the facts simply made sense. This is the son of God. This is the one who's come to take away the sins of the world. Because every single person is looking for a system or a way to explain away everything that Jesus did. This, is, this happens for you and me. All the things that Jesus taught, all the things that Jesus did, this stuff doesn't get simply explained away. It has to be reasoned with. And these are the people, like G.K. Chesterton says, imagine you found a key. Imagine you took the key and you started trying it on all the locks that you could find. And your key just, just wasn't seen to be working. But then one day, one day, you found a lock that the key fit perfectly. Not only did it fit perfectly, it opened the house and you were able to go inside and enjoy everything that it was to be had. You gotta decide something about that key. What's going on here? Is this the biggest, like on the face coincidence the world has ever seen? Or did the locksmith design that key to unlock that door? For the people, Jesus was the key that unlocked their hearts. And you and I, we have to consider, like, do we believe in him? And if we don't, then like, what are we really saying? How are we really explaining all of the evidence of the things he said and the things he did? So this is the four ways, right? I mean, these, these are the four reasons why people seek after Jesus. And we can look in the crowd and we can kind of see ourselves in different people. If, if you're anything like me, trusting in Jesus, you're looking into the crowd and you can't help but identify with some of these people, even though you're trusting in Jesus today. It's because we all have old habits. We all have old, old tendencies that come raging up every once in a while. Praise God for a text like John 7. It shows us a clear picture of Jesus and helps us align our lives to it. In light of that, in light of the four reasons why people seek after Jesus, briefly, let me share with you four reasons why this matters for our lives in Raleigh today. Reason number one, if Jesus is God, then you are either with him or you are against him. Think about how this works. You either get all of Jesus or none of Jesus. Imagine, if you will, you invite my, my family and I over to your house this afternoon to hang out, which would be fun. We're actually looking for lunch today. So any takers, find me over here. But imagine you do this, and we get to the house. We chit-chat at the door for a minute. You're like, okay, come on in, Thomas, but stay out west. It's kind of funny it's actually impossible because you can't separate my first and last name. That's exactly what we try to do with Jesus. We try to take parts of him, but not the full him. We say, oh, okay, come on in, Savior. Come on in, Helper. Stay out, King. Stay out, Lord. No, no, no. If he's God, you get the whole thing or none of it. There's no in-between middle ground where we simply pick and choose like, oh, this is the appetizing Jesus. Oh, this is the soft Jesus. I'll have some of that. The rest of it, that just isn't for me. 
He doesn't make that an option for us. You see in the moment, look at verse 43. There's division in the crowds after all of this. And that's true. All great leaders divide. All great leaders galvanize. And that's what Jesus was doing in this moment. The problem for many people these days is that we, we, we have a moderate view of Jesus. This, this silly thing of cultural Christianity. We worship a God who says to us, oh, try as hard as you can and then come to me and I'll do the rest. No wonder we don't take Jesus seriously. He isn't like that. You get all of him or none of him. And all the implications for our lives that we would find time for those of us that have extra time in the next day if we're off work. Oh, to be able to get with the Bible. And like, it's like, Jesus, I see what you're doing here. Like, what's off here? Where do I need to change? What needs to be different? And we, we ask his spirit to align our lives to match his life that we see here. We don't play with Jesus like he's a household cat. He's the lion of Judah. Number two, if Jesus is God, then being good is never good enough. Think about this with me. All other religions say that morality and religion is good enough. All other religions say you find a way, you work that way as hard as you can, and you'll turn out fine in the end. Jesus never did that. All other prophets come and saying that's the way to God. Jesus came and said, I'm the way to God. Other prophets come saying, this is the way to the good life. Jesus comes and says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. All other philosophies point you to ultimate reality. Jesus came and he claimed to be ultimate reality. Okay, so if this is true, then being good is never going to be good enough. So you think, well, I like, the, I like the view of God and the view of the religions to where I like a mountain. I like God at the top of my mountain and I like all these different paths up the mountain to God. And I like, I like the thought that people in other places, they can do the best they can just to get to God. They're going to be fine in the end. The only problem with that is that flatly assumes that being good is going to be good enough in the end. And being good is never going to be good enough because we need Jesus. That right there assumes that salvation is not by grace alone in Jesus Christ. And in the name of tolerance, we reach in and we rip the heart of Jesus out, trying to make this more palatable or more acceptable It's never the way God really intended it to be to us. Oh, there's a mountain and there's a God at the top. And the God looked down and said, everybody's gonna die without me. And he came down the mountain to get us and to bring us up to God. Good news. And being good enough for this kind of God is never going to cut it. So if you hear this this morning, and this picture of Jesus is breaking through. And in this moment, you see Jesus as someone who's more than useful and he's more than intriguing and he's far more than threatening. You see him to be the savior. The text is doing its work. Put your faith in him. Believe in him. Trust in him. And we'll figure out together what it looks like for us to band together and be on mission with him here in this city. Number next, if Jesus is God, then it doesn't really matter what anyone thinks about him. Yeah, Jesus is truth that is to be understood and obeyed. He is a person that is to be related to. But think about this with me. If he is God, then it doesn't matter what anyone's opinion is. History is full of people who've misunderstood God. And I realize we're at a cultural moment where it feels like, oh my goodness, like, do you see what they're doing? Do you see this piece of legislation? Look at all of that. 
This is nothing new. We, we just read some history and we say, okay, this stuff's just going to keep repeating itself until he comes back to get us. History is full of people who've misunderstood God. And the problem goes like this. We take our current cultural problem and we try to interpret Jesus in light of the problem when the solution is only found in taking the current cultural problem and interpreting the current cultural problem in light of Jesus and scripture. This is the way around it. We get jammed up into thinking like, oh man, like what are we gonna do with all of this? Just consider, imagine two little flies, little fly and little fly, flying around the backside of a massive horse, right? And I almost brought all this in this morning. I just figured it'd get kind of messy, right? But just imagine with me, imagine with me, two little flies, massive, big horse right here. Imagine the two little flies start having a conversation. Hey, little fly. Hey, little buddy. What shall we do with this horse? I don't know. I don't really like it. Me either. You want to push it off the stage? Yeah, let's try that. That's silly. If you're a fly, it doesn't matter what you think about the horse. If you're a fly and a horse is standing right here, your only job is to adapt to the existence of the horse. If Jesus is God, then no one's opinions ultimately matter about him. He either is who he is or he isn't. And however, it's inevitable. People have their visions and they have their dreams of what they wish was a certain way. And we say, oh no, but I really have my opinion about sex or gender, womanhood, manhood, and identity. And we say, oh, if, if, if Jesus doesn't jive with where I'm at on some of this, I'm out. The problem with that is that it flatly misses the point. You're not worshiping the Jesus of scripture. You're worshiping a Jesus that you construct with your own mind. And think about the question. The ultimate question isn't, what is Jesus Christ like, like, what are we to make of Jesus Christ in the midst of these things? The question is, what does Jesus Christ make of us? Last, if Jesus is God, then he must be the end rather than the means. Very simply, Jesus is not a means to getting more of what we need or more of what we want. He is a giver and he gives gifts and the gifts are good, but the gifts are intended to teach us about him and his character. So by implication, we should ask for things in ways that's consistent with the way that he gives things. We should consider our prayers. Man, isn't it so true? This is, this is so true of my life. And the, the prayers that we pray, they actually reveal a whole lot about the, the desires and the loves of the prayer himself. So let's pay attention to this. And let's be like, man, like, what are we hoping like, to get out of seeking Jesus? To believe in Jesus means that Jesus is our root joy and our root desire. And sure, we struggle with this. But at the end of the day, we don't see Jesus as a subplot of each of our stories. We see our stories as a subplot in his grand story. And this is what he does. He gives gifts to us and he's given so much to us as a church. He has given influence and access and resource. There's money. There's good standing in the city. There's a good reputation. And Jesus has packed all of this into us as a people. And Jesus looks at us as a people and says, listen, I need you to seek after me with all of this that you have in the world. Use these things to know me better and use these things to help other people know me better as well. And inevitably, we ask the question, 
But man, like what would ever make me want to use all of that for Jesus? We consider the gospel and how Jesus first sought after us because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to give his life so that we could have life. And when we read the gospels, we see, wow, look at Jesus. Jesus is a lot like a good shepherd who leaves 99 sheep to go and find the one that got astray. Man, he has sought after us like a widow who lost a valuable treasure and didn't sleep at all until it was recovered and brought in. Jesus seeks after us and he has pursued us with a patient kind of love, similar to a father who loves to welcome the prodigal home from afar. So what would ever make us want to seek after Jesus? It's only the new heart that Jesus gives us once he gets to us. And the new heart steadily produces new desires and new affections to continue to seek Jesus more and more. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. We're thankful that you're in this moment with us. God, we're thankful for this picture of Jesus. God, we pray that you would help us to just reflect for the next few moments. Help us to think about John 7. Help us to think about the things that the Spirit is stirring in each of our hearts. Help us to think about that promise from Jesus that if we seek, we'll find. So help us to seek. Help us to reflect and help us to think on these things well in this moment. Even as the brothers bring the plates and we receive an offering, God, help us to even give with a joyful heart, keenly aware of the many ways that you have already been so faithful to give for us. We ask for it in Jesus' name.